it was horrible for her. She she couldn't be a TV producer anymore because she couldn't carry heavy equipment. Uh, but she did yeah. something good, which is she went she traveled back to Florida so that they could prosecute uh, the perpetrator, which most people didn't want to do. Can't blame them. But you know, if you're a tourist, you're attacked in in Miami. You just want to go home to Minnesota. You don't want to go back to Miami to help <laughs> with this investigation. But sure. Sure. She did, and she got the guy put away for life. And then what she did, which is kind of like what you're doing, is she wanted to help other people. She wanted to use what happened to her um, for good. And she started a a couple of health help groups, self help groups, for people who have um, been the victim of trauma, like her. Testimony continued today in the most notorious criminal trial in Richland County history. Dr. John Boyle is accused of killing his wife, Noreen, and burying her body in the basement of his new home in Erie, Pennsylvania. The 12-year-old son finally took the stand. As I heard a scream, I heard a thud. It was about this loud. We, the jury, find the defendant guilty. When I was 12 years old, my testimony sent my father to prison for murdering my mother. This podcast serves as a type of therapy and reconciliation for myself, and it is my hope that it helps anyone who has experienced deception, betrayal, and dark trauma. I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Murder. Hey, movers. Welcome back to another episode of Moving Past Murder. I'm your host, Collier Landry, and what's going on? What's going on, people? Happy Friday. Um... God, it's been a strange week. I'm not even kidding. Somebody was telling me it's Mercury retrograde, or maybe we're out of the retrograde. I don't know. I don't know a lot about these things. Uh, I, I just know there's been a lot of tech issues lately. There's been a lot of communication issues. Is that a Mercury retrograde thing? I don't know. Why don't you guys tell me in the comments if I've hit that on the head or not? I do. I am somebody who is, uh, you know, I, I sort of somewhat follow astrology as far as like my horoscope and things, and I definitely, I'm a Pisces. So I definitely think that I am very much a Pisces person. I'm a creative, a creative professional. It's very much in line with what a Pisces is, I believe. A little emotional. Uh, that's why I have the fish, koi fish tattoo. Yeah, woohoo. Um, for those of you watching on YouTube. Uh, but yeah, there's been a lot of like weird stuff going on. And I'm not talking about like what's in the world. I'm talking about my own personal little corner microcosm of the universe. A lot of interesting tech and, and just weird things happening. But uh, it seems to be subsiding. So, but it has been a strange week nonetheless. But I just, uh, I'm also a little emotional. Um, I have a very, very dear friend of mine. Uh, her name is Sharon Rocky Roggio. And we have been working on a film together for the last almost four years called 1946. And I am very happy and proud to say that uh, we can officially announce that we are uh, having our world premiere at Doc NYC Film Festival in New York City on November the 12th, 2022. That is in less than a month from today. Uh, and I will be there for that premiere. I am so excited. I was the director of photography on the on the shoot and I was the uh, post-production supervisor and did some graphics for them. And just I kind of just did a lot of stuff on the film. And I've been there since the film's inception. I'm getting a little emotional. I am beyond proud of her. Um, so you can follow her at 1946 The Movie on TikTok or on Instagram or on Twitter. Uh, and she is just a really um, wonderful person in my life. Uh, the film deals with uh, religion and LGBTQ 
rights. And um, I'm not going to get into too much of that. I don't discuss religion or politics on this program. And I know some, some of my audience, some of you guys are very liberal, some of you guys are very conservative. But no matter what side of the spectrum you sit on and, and all of these things, uh, it is an amazing feat for someone to create a film about something that they are truly passionate about that has touched their lives in many ways. And to see that dream come to fruition is a monumental achievement. So um, as someone who has done that, uh, I can just, I am just beaming with absolute pride, mind the pun. <laughs> I am beaming with absolute pride for my, my dear friend, Rocky, who has been there through thick and thin with me personally and professionally. We go way back and she is a wonderful human and I'm so proud of her and all of the, all of the family of 1946 and cast crew. It's a it's an amazing documentary. It's going to be, you know, like I said, it's not for everyone, but it is a, um, it is a monumental achievement on her part, and I'm just beaming with pride. I'm so excited. So anyways, that, enough of that. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, I have a great episode today. Uh, another friend of mine has just released a book, and this book is called Forensic Files Now, and it is by a dear friend of the program, Rebecca Reisner. She runs the Forensic Files Now blog uh, that she's been doing for, I think, like maybe five, six, seven, eight years. Um, I had interviewed Rebecca last year um, uh, because she contacted me about the book and she's on the blog. She talked to many people in um, my world that were involved in the case. And look, Forensic Files is one of those shows that did a story on my family's case and on me. And um, it is my, I've talked about it several times on the program and talked about it a lot of times with my fellow true crime, uh, true crime survivors, advocates, and, um, you know, it comes up a lot with ethical true crime uh, conversations. So today we're going to discuss a little bit about that. We're going to talk about her book. But I do want to say this. You know, there are many, in my opinion, there are many true crime programs, podcasts, film, television, whatever, what have you, media that do exploit uh, true crime victims, uh, survivors, families, things of that nature. Forensic Files, as we will discuss in this in this episode, is one of those shows that while it does deal with forensic horrific crimes mostly of, of the murder category it, it it really does highlight the detective work done around these cases and what these forensic uh investigators scientists detectives have done to solve these cases and to bring justice for the families of the victims and um, that is a really cool thing also, uh, the program, which I've learned, uh, has really, really takes a lot of care when they reach out to victims. Look, Forensic Files reached out to me. Uh, my episode is, I believe, season five, episode 13. It's called Foundation of Lies. Uh, again, it's probably the top, one of the top 10 episodes of the show. They've had 400 and some episodes. A lot of people recognize me because I was the kid on the witness stand, obviously. Uh, but they, you know, they reached out to me. I did not participate. It was, a, they did offer me compensation. It wasn't enough. <laughs> as I had said at the time, but, uh, but I'm glad they did reach out to me. And Rebecca reached out to me. She said, hey, I'm, I'm writing about your mom. And, and uh, you know, I've, I've talked about this case before. And she wanted to be very, she was very ethical, in my opinion. And uh, so we became friends. And I wanted to promote her book. It comes out tomorrow, or I'm sorry. Oh, uh, yeah, tomorrow, because we are <laughs> on Friday. comes out tomorrow, October 15th. Uh, it is through the imprint uh, Prometheus Books, barnesandnoble.com, Amazon, 
wherever you get your books from, you can find it. But first, uh, for those of you that join me on Patreon, and you can check me out, patreon.com forward slash Landry. I do a monthly meet and greet with my VIP members. And this month, we are doing ours on October the 25th. We are doing a costume contest because it's spooky Halloween, right? And uh, of course, we want to have a fun time. So we're going to do a costume contest. There is a prize. If you're not on my Patreon, but you want to join, you want to be there for the meet and greet, meet my wonderful community of movers and shakers, <laughs> come join us. Join the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash call your Landry. It helps to support this program that you are listening to or watching right now. And if you're on YouTube, please like and subscribe. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, please subscribe. Please give us a positive review. I really appreciate it. Enough of the spiel. I want to get to this week's listener question. So this one comes from Star Laska on Instagram, and they say, Hi, Collier. After listening to your podcast episode made for your beautiful mom's birthday about your dad's manipulation, I had to let you know that you are right about constantly reminding yourself that your dad chose his actions and his consequences, which inadvertently, unfairly chose yours for you. What a selfish, lust-driven monster. He had the choice to divorce beautiful Noreen and allow her, along with yourself and her and your sister, to blossom out of his evil grasp, not to mention the constant infidelity he put your family through. Call your keep reminding yourself of this when feelings of empathy for 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 the devil creep in. You are an amazing person, Collier, and obviously take after gorgeous Noreen in talent and good looks. Sending sunshine and positive energy to you, Star from Australia. Well, thank you, Star. That is really very kind of you to say that. Um, yeah, I like to think that my father chose his consequences too. But yes, sometimes it is hard for me to... I feel like as a trauma survivor or true crime victim survivor, whatever you call it, right? As a survivor in general, I think that you're always going to have these sort of feelings of doubt, guilt, shame. Maybe it's survivor shame. I'm sure that's probably a thing. I should probably know that. I think, yeah, in fact, that is a thing. I think survivor shame is a thing that they feel that they have survived and the other person was killed. Um, I know a lot of people live in the shadow of guilt and then also they feel guilty for the actions of the perpetrator too, in this case being my father. I mean, it is a really odd sort of tightrope to walk emotionally, an emotional tightrope, uh, because I do think about a lot of the things about my father. And I guess, you know, I didn't really realize until after I made a murder in Mansfield exactly how far away from my father I was in terms of thoughts, feelings, um, the way I carry myself, the way, you know, I always, I think I've mentioned several times on this program before that I often wonder like, oh, could I have perpetrated a crime like that? Because I think that's only natural that you would think that way. I mean, look, we're all sort of, you know, we're all human beings and we were like, oh, okay, am I capable of such a thing? Uh, I'm glad to really understand that I would not be that person, uh, which is a good feeling. But, um, but thank you, Star, for your message. I really appreciate it. So as I said before, my guest today is Rebecca Reisner. She is the author and creator of the Forensic Files Now blog. And now she has written a book uh, of the same name that features some of the similar stories, my story included, uh, but it's some never-before-seen interviews, of course, even with myself. And, uh, you know, I've had Rebecca on the program before we discussed, but th this time I want to talk about, because it's been a while, uh, you know, since I've done the podcast now, this is, I believe, episode 58, 59, something like that. You know, I've learned a lot about true crime 
doing this. And, you know, from a survivor's perspective, we talk about my dear friend, Tara Newell and her situation as well. Her, her and I are doing the Survivor Squad podcast. We wax about a lot of things, all things true crime. So, uh, and her book. So please welcome to the program again, Rebecca Reisner. So Rebecca Reisner, uh, welcome back to the program. And um, it's so good to see you again. Thank you. It's great to see you too. So Rebecca, the last time we spoke, you actually, you had reached out to me because you were doing something called this. Yes. The book Forensic Files Now, because you have adopted or adapted your, your blog into a book. Exactly. So why don't you, I mean, is it out yet or it's coming out, right? Prometheus. Yeah, October 15th. It'll be in bookstores, Amazon, um, walmart.com, basically all major bookstores and all major um, online sellers. Books a million, it'll be on that too. Um, So yeah, so it's just coming out. And basically my blog is for, it started out just for people who liked forensic files, which there are plenty of. And because the show is old, it, it, all 400 episodes of it were made prior to 2011, but they're shown all over the world and people are wondering what happened to these cases since, you know, since uh, the, the program was produced. So I would research and find out what's happened since then and also find out new things about the cases that Forensic Files, the TV show couldn't fit into 22 minutes. And the book, I thought it would be fun, you know, to have it in book form. People could read it at the beach or whatever. And for each story, I got a little something extra that wasn't in the blog. So there's a reason to buy the book, you know, new interviews. I think chapter 27, which I think is a lady named, um, last name is Boyle, first name is Noreen. <laughs> I, I, yes, yes. There's part of an interview with you that, that we did that's not on the blog. It's just in the book. And um, so, yeah, so that's that's what it is. And there also also includes a question and answer quite in depth with Paul Dowling, who was the creator, is the creator of Forensic Files and a bit about the narrator, Peter Thomas. Um, Peter Thomas was one of the two greatest uh, male voice voice uh, artists of the of the post-World War Two. Uh, era, era, era. Yeah, yeah. Yes, era. Thank you. <laughs> he is the one. Now you're probably too young to remember this, but he is the one who did the American Express commercials. What will you do? What will you do? Oh yeah, I do. I do rem- remember seeing those. I've you know seen those on replays for sure. <laughs> yeah, he did the Tang commercials. The astronauts took Tang to the moon. Um, yeah. So yeah, so it's, it's that's what why it's such a great show. It just everything is done right on that show, and um, so that's my story. And I've, you know, I've really enjoyed meeting you because you're you understand media, and yeah, it's very easy to talk to you. And you know, you were able to take something horrible and and make some good things out of it. And another person I have on the book is um, Helga Loost. Loost. She was a TV producer. She got, she was a victim of the, the Miami robbery crime wave in the 1990s. Tourists were being uh, routinely kind of shanghaied or, or robbed, sometimes killed. And she was beaten severely 
uh, in an attack. About, you know, when she was in, she was visiting Miami, she was a tourist. She got lost from, on her way back from the airport. She pulled into an alley and two uh, you know, violent thugs atta attacked the, the car. One of them bit down on her arm so hard that when she finally was able to, to drive away, he hung on a little bit <laughs> to her arm. So anyway, she, yeah. Wow. And she, what she did, what, what good came out of this car? I mean, I mean, it was horrible for her. She, she couldn't be a TV producer anymore because she couldn't carry heavy equipment. Uh, but she did yeah. something good, which is she went, she traveled back to Florida so that they could prosecute uh, the perpetrator which most people didn't want to do, can't blame them. But, you know, if you're a tourist, you're attacked in in Miami, you just want to go home to Minnesota. You don't want to go back to Miami to help with this investigation. But sure, sure. She did, and she got the guy put away for life. And then what she did, which is kind of like what you're doing, is she wanted to help other people. She wanted to use what happened to her um, for good. And she started a, a couple of health help groups, self-help groups for people who have um, been the victim of trauma like her, you know, whatever, you know, it doesn't have to be what happened to her, but, you know, violence and, and yeah, of you know, course. these horrible of course. things that, that unfortunately happen to people. And she also started kind of a movement called Trauma Informed, whereby she helped to inform people how they could help the traumatized, you know, what, what are the right things to say and do. And, um, you know, so that's, um, she's in there and I have a, a new interview with her too. And it's great working with her because she also understands, she was a TV producer. She understands media. Um, so she's great to work with. That's, um, I mean, it's, it's horrible what happened to her now. Um, so how many, so how many chapters, how many cases are in this book? I know that I'm my mother's case. My family's case is chapter 27. Yes. I believe 27. There are um, 40, 40 chapters with each with each a self-contained true crime story. Um, and there's enough information there that even if you don't watch forensic files, it's the whole story's there. You don't have to, unless you won't, you know. Now, you know, right now at this moment, at this particular moment in time where we're at, right, <clears throat> we've gone through, you know, several movements in the last five, six years, right? We've gone through the Me Too movement that kind of rocked Hollywood, right? Is still sort of making its way through. Um, but raised awareness, right? And then we have, you know, obviously Black Lives Matter that kind of carried through the pandemic. But now we're sort of entering this phase. And, you know, the last time I had you on the program, I was talking to you about people's obsession with true crime yeah. and how I was trying to really understand that, right? As someone who, who didn't ask to be part of true crime, this fascination. And of course, I'm really well known as being the kid on the witness stand you know, in the episode of Forensic Files, um, which I believe is called um, uh, Foundation of Lies. Yes. Um, and the, the, now we're talking a lot about ethical true crime, treatment of, of victims, of survivors, of their stories, media exploitation, yes. um, and all of that. And like, you know, we have programs like Dateline, we have, you know, uh, podcasts that are that are built essentially on some people you know, people's worst day of their lives right for me forensic files is obviously it talks about these cases right but for me a program like this and and correct me if i'm wrong but it feels like 
because it's called forensic files, it really is about what got the perpetrator caught, the exactly. mistakes that, that were made, the good police work that these forensic scientists, that these detectives did, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And how does that, so how does that fit with you? Like, how does that sit with you as far as ethical true crime and, and sharing these stories? Because. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. And part of it is, you know, you are, you are writing about things that certain people really don't want you to write. Um, and if people, it's only happened once or twice, but. No. Um, you know, on a couple occasions where people said, you know, could you please take this off your website? I have, because I'm, I'm not trying to cause anybody any. Uh, the thing is, here, here's what I think. A crime like murder um, or any violent, horrifying crime, it does become kind of part of the public domain. I mean, it's the most horrible thing that can happen. And it's not going to be a private matter when it's when somebody's broken the law, people are going to you know, if somebody gets murdered or on your block, oh yes, just give, you know, this is a private matter. How can you not, you know? So I think the important thing when, as far as, you know, not exploiting it, is first of all, giving the person a chance to help tell his or her own story, letting that person, if that person doesn't want to talk about it, make it very clear in the narrative that you tell that this person does not, you know, wants to forget about this and move on. And just doing good research. You know, I always make sure to, I check out, I do everything online. Some, sometimes phone interviews with, with people, but you know, I always make it clear when there are two sources say different things. I let that be known, you know, it's not clear whether this is that or that, um, but here it is. And also I don't really take much or really any creative license with it, you know, um, So that is that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think what you're saying is very true. Sure, for many victims of crimes, it would be much better if it was never written about, you know, a book shown on TV, even shown on the news. But it is, it's out there. And, you know, I believe I can tell these stories in a compassionate way and also in a way that kind of shames the bad guys as well. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. And I think, and I, th I think what you just said hits the nail on the head. Like there's a lot of talk obviously with this Dahmer show that has come out. That's uh, directed by Ryan Murphy or show run by Ryan Murphy, created by Ryan Murphy. I mean, <laughs> he does everything right. Um, you know, and, and the emotional sort of scarring that some of these victims are going through and, and, you know, obviously Dahmer, much like my father is a psychopath wow. and is a monster and has destroyed people's lives. You know, he obviously touched more lives than my father did as far as victims, but the damage was pretty severe in both men's wake, right? And I feel like, you know, when, I think part of the, the thing that these victims, their families, or the, the survivors, or where people get angry with this is exactly that. It's the glorification of the perpetrator. Yeah. The idolation of the perpetrator. You know, much like people idolize John Wayne Gacy, uh, Charles Manson. Um, oh, yeah. These people who have done horrific things 
And I think that is probably the biggest sting. Now, you know, when you approached you, I mean, you approached me and you said, Hey, I'm writing this. I do a blog. I've interviewed, you know, I believe you interviewed Dave Messmore years ago, correct? No, not Dave. No, it was, I don't think I talked to him. I talked to the, the local newspaper reporter who covered the whole thing. Char- Charlie Hummel, right? No, his last name, it might have been Buddy. Hudak. No, Fuddy, Gerald Fuddy, or or, or Fuddy or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, I'll look it up. <laughs> yeah, maybe John Fuddy. John Fuddy, yeah, because Gerald yeah. Fuddy was Children's Services. For those of you that are are from Mansfield, Ohio, they're going, no, it's this, it's this. <laughs> they know better than I do. <laughs> no, but um, but it, it's it's you know you you have really strived to, and like you said, you take down if if a victim approaches you. Uh, and says, "Hey, you know, I, I don't want, I don't want this out there. You, you respect that, right? Yeah, I and do. And you try to, and you try to really, um, because you're a journalist by trade. Like that is your thing. You know, that's how you came into this. And so you have that journalistic, you have that journalistic experience, and you understand integrity, and you know, but you also understand that there's a, a news aspect to it. And yeah, yeah, you say it is a, it is." A public domain story but again with these forensic files cases i feel like you know there's this one side where you have the victims don't like to be or the families don't like to be reminded of this right some people just want to go away i obviously do not go away i'm very public and i don't get offended or butthurt when people do this i just go well why don't you just put my twitter handle on on your <laughs> on your post or whatever <laughs> why don't you give me a shout out why don't you talk to me because i'll talk to you i'm very i'm an open book right but i feel like other people just want to live a quiet life what do you how do you how do you think the media needs to sort of straddle that i mean because again true crime is so popular and it's the hot it's i would say it's the hot new thing but i mean i remember watching unsolved mysteries when i was a kid oh that was right and and, that was a a ridiculously popular popular show and much like forensic files and you had this this fascination how do you think that creators in that space what what they can really do to sort of straddle that fine line between exploitation and and artistic liberty if you will right right well, um, one thing that I really hate that some of the network true crime shows do is they try to get people to cry on camera. Yeah. Um, they do that, you know. Um, they, you know, they kind of poke at them with questions they know the person doesn't really want to answer. Um, you know, even if the person sometimes says, you know, I don't want to answer, they kind of poke at that. So, I, you know, I, that's the kind of thing you don't want to do. Obviously, with crime scene pictures, you want to be very sensitive as to, you know, if you have access to these things, you need to ask the victims, you know, how, how, you know, how upset is, how upsetting is it that we're going to show these? And what um, Forensic Files did in another show that I recently saw, I can't remember the name of the series, but they send in 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 shows in which um, victims cooperate or you know seen are seen on camera they make another version of it without the crime scene photos you know without the um you know autopsy photos or you know the the surely the the deceased person and they take all those out so that way the person can watch it and see the story 
um, but they don't have to confront these horrible photographs. I did not know that. That's very thoughtful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, yeah, they do that. And, um, yeah. And another, well, that's a, so, so that's, so that was sort of one of their practices. Yeah. They always did that all along. And, um, yeah. Now the other thing this they did that was great, although this, this is really actually often a little tangential, but, um, they always, forensic files, I always wanted to make sure that no crime of negligence took place because of the production of the show. They, Paul Dowling never gave anybody a budget for recreations. He said, just spend as much as you need to, to show these recreations, which, which are very tasteful, tastefully done on the show. It's not like one of those wives with knives or something. And he said that he just, he never wanted somebody to get hurt because, you know, there wasn't enough money to have whatever you have on a TV. You would probably be able to tell me more, you know. Um, sure, of course. Whatever you need to, to the set to be or to have on set to make sure that no one gets hurt. And stunt, a stunt coordinator, for example. <laughs> yes, yes. It, it, exactly like that. So, you know, they did 400 episodes. All 400 had some uh, portions, you know, being recreation and no one ever got hurt. So... And in all fairness, you know, Forensic Files, their producers did reach out to me and want me to be on the show. Mm. And they were going to pay me. I didn't think it was enough. And and I we just sort of agreed to disagree, right? And so I didn't, I said, I'm just not going to participate. And, um, you know, that's fine. I'd never wish them any ill will or anything. Oh, I you never told me that. Yeah, yeah, they did. And they were going to, and I said, you know, but I'm glad that I did that because as someone who, is a victim survivor um, turned creator, you know, I've always been able to control my own narrative. Oh. And I think between the last time that we spoke on this program and now is, you know, I, you mentioned Tara Newell earlier, who I'm doing the new uh, podcast we're doing together called Survivor Squad, right? Where we interview survivors in their own words, and you said that earlier, you want people to share their story in their own words if they talk to you. Yes. What happened? And you, you, you have um, you've published me in this book. You have quoted me appropriately, okay. <laughs> accurately, and appropriately, and and you were very thoughtful with that. Even right. saying, "Hey, this is what I'm writing. Are you okay with this? Great. I want to run some things by you. Is that okay? Great. You know, and still keeping your creative liberty, of course, or your your your, your style. But you you did ask me, in all fairness, but. I have seen so much of where um, these these survivors do get their their story just becomes controlled by podcasts, media, film, and television. All of this stuff without their either approval, their awareness, or their uh, um, or their uh, authorization. Yeah, <laughs> and, and 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 that that is a really difficult line to straddle and i and you know i started like what is this but i realized how how grateful i was to the show for reaching out to me even though i didn't go on it because i was like well it's not enough money you know whatever it was um i'm glad because i was able to control my own narrative they told the story but they didn't use me to tell that they obviously used me on the witness stand as a child and things like that but they don't and and it's a unique position where i've been in 
which I didn't realize until recently, like how unique of a position that is. Yeah, you know? it, it, it is rare. And, and may I ask, how did you feel about the footage, they took the file footage of you um, testifying? How did you feel about that when you saw the show? Well, I think so. I think we talked about this before, or I think I told you when you had interviewed me before, but I never, so I only saw the images of the crime scene on a on a, it was on a website and I could see it from the other side of the room because I was dating someone who then she was telling her, her gay best friend about me and he typed in the name and then he found the pictures he pulled up a website and she was like, don't show him that because forensic files had come out like that year. But I didn't actually see the episode until I was on a date with a girl and we were sitting on her couch post coitus, if you will. <laughs> and we were, <laughs> she was flipping through the channel and there was this face of this kid on the television. I was like, oh, oh. And then she's flipping through and then she <laughs> looks over at me and then she flips it back. There's me on the witness stand. I'm just kind of like, yeah, that's, that's me. <laughs> oh my goodness. Sorry. I told you. <laughs> so that was awkward, but, um, you know, I never saw, I never actually watched the, the full episode until I would say probably after I made a murder in Mansfield. So I would say like 2018, 2019, right. I, I think was the first time I saw it. And obviously, yeah, there's a lot of there, there's some gruesome footage there. Um, it, you know, it, it, it does affect affect me for sure. I mean, but also I, I, you know, the, the, as someone who led the police to catch my father, right. For murdering my mother, I also can look back at that program and see the way that they are honoring the crime lab, the forensic scientists, the detectives right. and for their work. And I'm really grateful for that because if those people hadn't done their jobs post finding my mother, you know, my father, you know, his conviction may not have been secured, if you will, or, or, or his fate might not have been sealed. Right. Because, um, you know, it's, it, it is the diligent work that those guys did that, that really, you know, helped. It is. And, yes. And, and a lot of times the, the, uh, law officers and lawyers who worked on, maybe the lawyers know, but the, the police, the detectives who worked on it. Um, some of them, are, they're just so modest, you know, that, yeah, sure. There, there are a few that, you know, enjoy hearing themselves talk, which is fine. Nothing wrong with that. But a lot of them I speak to later who have appeared on camera on forensic files, they say, no, never watched it. And, um, they say that, you know, they, they're just one of a part of a team that was able to solve this crime and, and hold someone responsible. And they don't want to call attention to themselves. And, um, you know, they, in the ones who are still on the job, likewise, they really, um, they don't want to make it to see, seem like the investigation was all about them. It was all about a lot of people working hard and they didn't do it. And, you know, a lot of, they're very, some of them, they let me interview them. I don't want to say reluctantly, but they're not thrilled about it. You know, like, oh, okay, we'll help this person out. But, and sometimes I'll say, okay, do you want me to send you the link to the blog post? Eh, it's okay. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I, you know, that's, yeah. that's many of them, they're really, they're faithful public servants who just want to get these people off the streets. And yeah, of course. 
Um, you know, I think last time we talked about, you know, obviously, you know, it was interesting because I went to CrimeCon this year for the first time, mm. which was a very interesting experience. And I, oh, wow. you know, I made, I made little flyers with my photo of me with on the witness stand oh, that's great. and pass them out, you know, just to, to kind of promote the podcast. But it is so that people look at the picture and they're like, I, I, I know, I know this kid. I don't know you, but I know this kid. <laughs> and it's from that Forensic Files episode. Oh, yeah. Because of that. And I think, you know, one of the things when you approached me, you said that, and I think we discussed last time, was the, the, the thing that you felt, which was what really connected with the audience on my episode, was the fact that a kid was involved. A child was testifying against a parent. Uh, right, a child testifying. And they want to know what happened to that child. You know, they they yeah. get involved in the story, and um, you know, and it's not in any kind of morbid way. It's it's just human drama, high high human drama, and um, yeah, they they want to. And, and I and, and I think for me that is one of the things that I've really you know look I you know even even Tara, she gets a lot of a lot of shit, <laughs> to be blunt about it for what happened. Yeah, and it's, really and, and, for defending herself. Yeah. For defending herself. And I, I'm looking at this going, you know, this is horrible what people say sometimes. And it's like, what, you know, what did you expect her to do? <laughs> Lie down and get, get murdered? And then this guy goes and murders her whole family? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Is that? He was a horrible man who. Uh, horrible psychopath. Yeah. My... And I believe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. Go ahead. No. He's a yeah. hor horrible man. Um. I, I spoke actually. I had a phone interview with her mother, Deborah Newell. I, I love everything Dirty John, the podcast, the the uh, Netflix series. Was it Netflix? Hang on. Well, Netflix has it now, but it was on orig originally on Bravo. Bravo uh, USA. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I, um, I just find it. I, con men just fascinate me. Um, so, but now I forget what I was going to say. Wait, Deborah. Oh, she said Deborah Newell said that she thought that this this attack on her daughter Tara was going to be a kidnapping that um she, he you know John Meehan was gonna kidnap Tara and try to get Deborah to do something over it I, I don't know what it was um I was just curious is, is that your understanding of what happened or that is most certainly not my understanding of what happened okay but I wasn't there but I but I I don't know because according to Tara, the, uh, the knife was in a Del Taco bag and he started punching her with the Del Taco bag oh and the knife was hidden inside that bag. And then when the investigators, you know, obviously came to the scene, apparently his trunk was full of knives. So I don't know, um, what part of it, maybe, maybe it was a, maybe it was a kidnapping torture kill thing. I don't. I don't know, but I would say that I would say that uh, if I was to shake the magic eight ball, uh, it would say all signs point towards no. Murder. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I would say that he was go he was coming to kill her, and he was probably going to take out the whole family because I believe he wrote it even in a diary. So that would be interesting that Deborah would say that. But again, I don't I don't know the family dynamic. I don't know anything about that situation. I wasn't there, but I do know what Tara has told me and. It is not that. <laughs> I don't think she thought okay. he was just going to kidnap her. 
he was started punching her with a with a bag over his over his knife wielding hand. So yeah, there was no kidnap attempt. And she's a little thing, by the way. She's not, you know, this guy's, you know, my size, you know, six two, right. two hundred some pounds. I mean, he was obviously a little bit more emaciated because he was in the throes of drug addiction and dr- heavy drug usage. But you know, still a very, you know, twice the size of her easily. Yeah, she's. I, I've heard that she's very tiny in person. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, her story is just like it, Her story is so amazing because. It, it's what happens in the movies all the time and in police shows. The victim gets the what you know the female the small female victim gets gets the big man's uh, knife away from him and but it almost never happens in real life and here it really happened. She got you know she got the knife and she defended herself with it. It's nothing short of a miracle. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's like it's, one you know. one one in like ten thousand chance that that yeah yeah what are the odds i mean that's that's what makes her so unique and the fact that she could even be coherent and not like you know a lot of people would freeze up in that situation or play dead i mean i think some some people even say to her why didn't you just play dead what (laughs) but to her i mean but i think that some people would do that and you know i don't i think that she you know she realized that 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 wasn't going to cut it (laughs) you know that she had to defend herself and and um you know i applaud her for that because yeah it's that's not... good for her that's... and it's something it's it's not like she's proud of that you know and that's you know when we discuss the you know again these comments that you know come on tiktok or instagram or wherever mostly tiktok but you know people just weigh in it's very i think this is this you know t- taking back to the the sort of the ethical true crime conversation i think it's one of the things is when these programs get made or these shows come out and then even the person who is the victim or the survivor is, is speaking out, they tend the public or the, the consumer with their opinions. Well, it's very easy to hide behind a wall of social media and these power social relationships and excoriate the victims oh, I know. or the survivors. And that I think is probably the most vicious thing is that is because, you know, a lot of these people, they want to go away. Then there's a, then there is a, a, a case that comes to prominence. And then it's like, you're just a, you know, a few keystrokes away while you're watching television. Oh, what happened to call your, call your boil. Okay. Call your boil, call your land oh, Landry. Okay, Mansfield, Ohio. Oh, wow. He's got a Facebook page. Oh, he's got an Instagram. Oh, he's doing a filmmaker. Oh, look at this. He's got a YouTube thing. You know, and then they can contact me because they do. I mean, it happens every day. People contact me. Oh, that's great. Every single day, I will get a message from some. I mean, it's not even a message. It's multiple messages. And it's either they see the documentary, they see forensic files. And I'll actually go on because on on YouTube that people will, um, they'll rip the forensic files episode. You know, they'll bootleg it and then they'll put it on their own channel and then they'll get like three or 400,000 views and people will be like, well, I wonder what happened to this kid with it. And so sometimes I'll go on there. I'll be like, yeah, I wonder what happened to that kid too. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, those, those... It takes a while, but some people respond. They go, oh my God, you're the kid. <laughs> okay. I think there are je- definitely genuine people. There are a lot of people that try to shit on the victims or say, oh, they stuck around. You know, one of the things I get a lot of or have heard a lot of is that people will say, well, you know, your mom, your mom stuck around for the money. And I'm like, no, my, my father is a doctor, but my father just started making money a few years prior to the murder. Um, he, you know, and my mother stuck around because she loved him 
and he had been a womanizer for 20 years and we had they had a child together and she also put him through medical school so yeah uh you know she stuck around because it was a team and right. she's like <laughs> you, know, you know what i mean it's not because she's out there tripping the life fantastic it's um you know it's uh it, but it's interesting it, again it's that these power social relationships allow people to hide behind this veil this Wait. cloak and just be like ah just jab 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 oh i know this is the victim shaming you know you don't know what you would do if you're in a situation i mean if i you know you know relationships with the are very complicated and it's not that easy oh this guy's a jerk why don't you leave there's a big picture there and uh, there's a really big picture sure coercive control is such a weird thing you know tara helped get a law passed in in california for coercive control recognizing that as, a, as something that exists where they can cite case law and say oh this has happened this person was under coercive control because it's a very real thing i mean look at cults right oh yeah right right i mean you know look at the uh the nexium cult with uh what's his name um rainier oh yeah um mark rainier i think you know you you look at these these situations and and people come under the the spell of the of the voodoo doctor the witch doctor you know i mean it's it's uh it's insane i feel like we got off topic a little bit but um, <laughs> I, <know>. <laughs> <laughs> I started mentioning voodoo witch, witch doctors but but it's all the same thing but i think the thing that you know uh well I, you know tell us about some of your tell us about some of your favorite cases in this book and i'm gonna i'm gonna do another shameless plug the book oh. is called forensic files now by rebecca reisner it is out tomorrow october 15th on prometheus books and you can get it where else um amazon books a million uh, barnes and noble walmart.com target.com everywhere you can get books is there an audible version as well because i i i read but i but i prefer the audible yeah, there is yeah 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 there. fantastic and who reads that Oh, who's the reader? Yeah, oh, who's the reader? Is it you? Oh, I don't know who it is. I that's oh, well, that. you're you're have to find that out. Yeah, I, I uh, find it. One of my best listeners is blind, and I want to get that to him. So, um, so tell so tell me about one of your you know obviously I'm your favorite case, but your second favorite <laughs> case in the in the book that was that touched you. Sure. Um, Mark Winger. Um, he is this nice uh, nice Jewish boy. My mother wishes would have like just, I, I say if like I brought him home, my mother would have died of ecstasy. You know, he's, he's like an engineer and uh -huh. um, has this happy marriage with this woman, uh, Donna. And um, in uh, nice guy, uh, the in-laws loved him. And he came up with the most diabolical plot ever that's shown on, on Forensic Files, which is he killed his wife and he killed another guy, uh, a guy, and made it look like the guy had been killing his wife and, and he shot the guy, made it look like he, he's a hero. And he, um, what did he do? He, he got some money for this, I, I forget why, like a victim's fund and maybe some uh, life insurance on his wife. Went along and, um, oh, he hired a nanny, they, they just, adopted a baby before he killed the wife. I guess he wanted to, he wanted to keep the baby all to himself and, and marry a girlfriend. 
Uh, and then he, he hired a nanny. So of course he impregnated the nanny. They ended up getting married. Wait, I'm getting off. Okay, <laughs> I'm getting off. But what I thought was so interesting about that, that particular case is it just shows you like everything is a house of cards. I mean, these were these, you know, this couple, they had, you know, who, um, you know, they were lo each loved by their parents and in-laws. They were adopting a baby, very respectable. She had a job in medicine. I forget what she did. Um, you know, he's an engineer. And meanwhile, it, it was all, you know, all along he, he was planning to kill her. And well, not all along, but, but, you know, later and, you know, gone house of cards gone. And just that, you know, you, you don't, you never know what's going on beneath the surface of what you see. And that, that's another thing that was interesting there. And the other thing that really fascinates me about that case is that so many people, they get away with murder once and they, they keep pushing their luck. Like here's this guy, he got away with murder. He got the sympathy of the community. Oh, this poor man, his wife's been murdered and he, he was forced to kill this other man who was killing, you know, attacking his wife. Um, you know, got some insurance, got the got the nanny, got got everything, and then he decides, oh, he was gonna he was gonna he tried to sue the shuttle a shuttle company, with which for whom the, uh, the this poor dead man, his name was Roger Harrington, worked, and he he's wanted to sue this shuttle shuttle company because because the driver came into his house and killed his wife. He it when he he invited this shuttle driver over to their house to to work things out and really the whole time he planned to kill him and make it look like he killed his wife is that at all like uh, is, that, is, that, is that all understandable it's it's really complicated I, I I think so I think what you're getting at is that he pushed his luck and he wanted to commit another murder yeah. and yeah. then where he got I I think that one of the things that you know, when I think about the allure of true crime is the fascination with the predictability of stupidity. Yes, yes. Or the predictability of hubris, really, yes. in my father's case. You know, I recently learned, I interviewed the judge from my father's trial. <clears throat> the judge said to me that my father rented a cold storage unit and uh, put down his ID so he could store my mother's body in a cold storage while he was digging her grave underneath yeah, the house. Yeah, yeah. Oh in the basement floor. I mean, it's just, you know, and these are things that I didn't know. You know, they were in the trial, obviously, but I haven't watched the trial. I haven't really read the trial. I haven't, you know, I'm now fascinated to get the trial transcripts. But, you know, again, you're putting your ID down. You've rented a jackhammer, first of all. Like, that, <laughs> that was the first thing. But but then you, you put your ID down and you do these things. And again, you know, I, I, I mean, thank God that they do do this because maybe they wouldn't have stopped. Like I am very yes. convinced that my father would have done it again. Oh. And he might've killed his girlfriend who he impregnated, you know, eventually if she got in the way of something or maybe she found something out or, you know, uh, I, I think to someone who is a psychopath, just like a Jeffrey Dahmer, you know, people are expendable. <laughs> I guess Anything so. that gets in their way is expendable. Any creature living, breathing creature that is in their way is expendable. And it, it's um, it's terrifying, but I think that you know you can find a little bit of solace in the fact that these people do make mistakes, they do tip their hand, and yes, they ultimately get caught. 
or else we wouldn't be hearing about it if they didn't get caught. Yeah, exactly. You know? He was this guy. He was greedy. He wanted. He thought he could sue this uh, shuttle company for millions. And as you know, people companies don't love to be sued, so sometimes they hire no. private investigators. <laughs> and then it was figured out. The whole thing was figured out. That you know what happened, and and so now he's in he's in prison. While he was in prison, he devised an even more diabolical uh, scheme for getting out and killing a bunch of people. The uh, the fellow prisoner uh, spilled the beans to the to the authorities, uh, sure. and now the guys he's got like life plus thirty five years. He's yeah. never getting out. Yeah, he's never getting out. Yeah, unbelievable, unbelievable. Well, but you know, again. Forensic Files is about the good investigation and the detective work that goes into solving these cases and taking these horrible human beings off the streets and putting them where they belong, which is behind bars. Yes. And that's a good thing. So the book is Forensic Files Now, named after the extremely popular blog. My guest today is Rebecca Reisner, the creator and founder of Forensic Files Now blog, and now the author of the official book, Forensic Files Now, which yours truly is in, chapter 27. Chapter 27. This book is available everywhere you purchase books from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million. comes out tomorrow, October 15th, 2022. Check it out, guys. Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on the program. Where can our listeners find you? Oh gosh, uh, forensicfilesnow.com. Uh, that's that's my blog. That's where I am. Uh, contact me through there. Uh, yeah, yeah. Th thank you so much for having me. I love working with you. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I do. Thank uh, you so much, um, Rebecca. You have a wonderful uh, day. Thank you for, so much for being on the program. Absolutely. Take care. Bye bye. Well, that was an interesting conversation with Rebecca. Look, you know, as I said at the top of the program, I really do, um, I really do appreciate Rebecca reaching out to me when she wanted to do a story on the blog about me and the case and my mother, and just wanting to hear my my thoughts and opinions on it. I also, you know, did not know that the creators of Forensic Files um, th that they took such care to. Uh, you know, not have certain scenes in episodes that victims were a part of and not show, you know, obviously photographs of the crime scene of the, of their loved one's body and, and things of that nature. Um, so that's, there is, there is thought that it goes into some of this true crime content creation. And again, as she talks about, even with the reenactments, making sure that they had the proper, the proper funding to do the right thing with the actors and the talent and make sure they had stunt coordinators and things like that, that the scenes were shot properly. They weren't being penurious or penny pinching. And that goes a long way to show that they are actually really concerned about not only the cases that they handle, but also the way that they treat their staff, <laughs> their employees, their, the talent that work with them. Uh, that is a good sign. I mean, look, I've worked in Hollywood for over 10 years and um, it is, uh, you know, sometimes it's not always the best working condition. So to know that they've gone out of their way to do that, that, that sits well with me, to be honest with you. You know, I might not agree with all the material, but I, I do like that they've tried to take care of their of their team to create the content that they have and the program that they have. And uh, again, you know, Forensic Files, I, you know, I don't know where you stand on it, but, um, you know, uh, the work that they showcase, at least with my mother's case, with David Messmore, 
uh, Tony Tambasco and the crime lab of the Mansfield Police Department and the work that they did in bringing justice for my mother was extraordinary. And I am really, really grateful for that. So um, I do like what this program highlights a lot of times with the investigative side of it and, and helping to keep perpetrators off the street because that's ultimately the goal of raising awareness and discussing true crime is so you don't have to be a victim or a survivor like myself. Uh, that is the whole point of, of all of this. So, um, yeah. Anyways, uh, on that note, I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Murder. Thanks, y'all. This podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible. Find us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Collier Landry. The film A Murder in Mansfield is available on Investigation Discovery, Discovery Plus, and Amazon Prime Video. This podcast is a production of Don't Touch My Radio in association with RSA Entertainment. Please visit mpmpodcast.com to show your support today.